Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive with Dr. Rebecca Risk. Do you ever feel that even though nothing seems seriously wrong and you pass all the medical tests, that you still feel that your health, pain, and fatigue are completely out of control? It doesn't have to be that way. Listen to the tips and suggestions given on our program today and take back control of your health. Now, here is Dr. Rebecca Risk. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Falling Through the Cracks. Today, we're talking with Dr. Simone Ravis, who is a brain coach, certified business and life coach, and multiple international best-selling author. She has a PhD in clinical psychology and an MBA, which has have maximized her knowledge of business and human behavior. Today, we're discussing her book, her book Brain Boosters, Seven Ways to Help Your Brain Help Yourself. So, Dr. Ravis, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. Um, so what brought you to write a book about the brain boosters? <laughs> well, it was a long journey. Um, I've always been fascinated by human behavior, as you had mentioned, and always knew that I wanted to go into a profession in which I would be helping people. And initially I went into psychology. But right before that, I had I was a... I was in working in business, and I was just getting really carried away because I had these propensities to being a major type A and a perfectionist, and I was just working myself so hard that I became very, very ill. And I was hospitalized, and I almost died on two occasions. And after that, before I started recovering, uh, my life was really inferior to say the least and I was really really depressed I couldn't do anything I could barely think Um, I had such brain fog and I was in pain and I started working with a with a a psychiatrist who was a really a leading brain expert at the time and using his information as well as Eastern and Western healing traditions we designed a program that I followed, and I finally got much much better. So that started my interest in the brain, and I continued studying on it um, as I have been. And the more information that's been coming out now, because as you probably know, it's a really hot topic right now. You can barely get away from reading about new discoveries every day. Um, I just became more and more interested in it and keeping up with it, and then I decided, you know, I incorporated these techniques into my um, methods that I use with my clients, and they were so incredibly effective that I thought, I have got to get this knowledge out to more people. People deserve to know that they can dramatically change their brains, change their thinking, how they feel emotionally, physically, and in every way, and so I decided to write this book. So your your book is based on neuroplasticity and and how that works, but I know it's not. Um, some people still believe the old way that our brains don't change. So can right. you um, just explain what what neuro about yeah. the brain is that the after childhood development, when our brain changes quite a bit, it was thought that that was the end of it, and our brains remained largely the same until early middle age or earlier when there was this rapid inevitable decline, you know, into senility, which is myth number two. 
but our, do, our brains do change very much. They're like plastic in that way, neuroplasticity. And we have a lot to do with how we want our brains to change. Um, there's changes in the neurons. We can increase the number of neurons. Changes in the synapses, which are the communication, which, which is how communication works in the brain. So um, the brain is much more flexible than we thought it was. And, and I know um, you talk about this um, in relationship to genetics, and a lot of time people feel like their genetics are, you know, what they're going to end up like. Their parents have heart disease, and they're going to be in that way. And does this neuroplasticity actually affect how our genes are expressed as well? Yes, it actually can affect that. It works like turning a switch on and off. It can turn genes on and off and affect um, the regulation of them. For example, um, genes are, our, our, our brains can turn certain genes on and off, as I said, and some of these genes can be genes associated with inflammation, with cell death, with free radicals, all of which are very harmful to the brain, and are all, are all of those are involved with mind-body aging. So we can definitely change um, the impact of the genetics. There was actually even one study in which they looked at a mutation, a genetic mutation, that increases the likelihood of getting Alzheimer's by almost 15 times. And when they had the people with that perform exercise, which has a huge impact on the brain, there, were, there was no difference between their brains and the brains of people without that genetic mutation. Um, which I, you know, I love hearing things like that because I know a lot of people think they're just predestined to end up a certain way. And, of course, um, if we understand what's happening, we can prevent, um, you know, a lot of things from happening. Exactly, exactly. And that's what the whole movement, you know, about the brain internationally is now is trying to understand how it functions and the information and knowledge is just growing by leaps and bounds it's incredible and and a lot of that is due to the newest technology that lets us see right into the brain um, into the structure and how the brain functions and how it changes it's really incredible what can be done now so in your book, you talk about, um, I mean, you explain a whole lot of how the, the brain works, but mm-hmm. I, I think one of the more important ones is the, um, the amygdala. Can you explain what that is? Sure. That's, the amygdala is a part of the brain that's located in the limbic system. So a lot of neuroscientists use this model. Um, there's questions about it, but a lot of them are still using this model, saying there's three sort of um, developmental periods uh, in which the brain was formed. First, there's the brain stem that was also known as the reptilian brain, very, very old. And then after that developed the limbic system, and the limbic system involves emotions and meaning and memory. And finally, our um, cortex and our frontal lobes developed. So the limbic system is a little more primitive than our frontal lobes, 
and the amygdala is located in that limbic system, and it's primarily in charge of emotions and the stress response. And um, the amygdala is impacted by by a lot of things, um, primarily if there's a threat in the environment or even a perceived threat. Like if we have an angry boss, we react to that situation with a full-blown fight-or-flight response as if it were had been a tiger that was attacking us. See, we react these days to stressors that are not life-threatening, but we react to them as if they were. So the amygdala would become totally activated and it would secrete stress hormones like cortisol and adrenaline and a whole bunch of negative changes um, that I think we'll discuss later would happen in the body because of the stress response. So the amygdala is a really critical part of the brain. So um, when people are experiencing stress, is that the only thing that's happening or does it go, um, you know, a little more than that? Stress is really a holistic issue. Um, it, it affects us physically, it affects us mentally, emotionally, in every way possible. Um, when it affects us physically, when we have the stress response triggered, there are a number of changes that happen in our body. And one of them is the secretion of um, cortisol and the other is adrenaline. And so we go into the fight or flight response and certain genes trigger these substances. So the cortisol that's released, it diverts blood away from our digestive tract to prevent digestion because this would be a waste of energy if we're running away from, you know, somebody who's trying to attack us. It's not time to be digesting our food. And the other things that happen, um, there's increased blood flow to the legs, feet, arms, and hands, and a lot of physical changes. Now, cortisol is in charge of maintaining our heart rate, and it's really important for the immune system and anti-inflammatory functioning. But what happens is it's released over time. In our modern-day society, people tend to have chronic stress. And... What this does is it interferes with a part of the brain called the hippocampus, which is the memory center of the brain. So our memory is not as good during stress when the amygdala is active, and during stress the brain's creative center is shut down, and the frontal lobe's abilities to problem-solve, be insightful, make decisions, all that is shut down during stress. So, you know, not only do we experience emotions like anxiety, but we're not thinking as well. And physically, our body is really being subject to a lot of wear and tear. Okay, so um, I I think, you know, the next question I wanted to ask was the difference between the unconscious and conscious mind. And I think that some of the stress responses that you talked about explain what is unconsciously happening. But can you just bring that together so that we can understand how this can affect us over time? Well, if I'm I'm understanding your question correctly... um, 
do you want to know if there's a part of the stress response that is unconscious? Yeah, and then okay. what is conscious as well? Yeah, I think we don't um, always think about things that way. Well, first, let's talk about why we experience stress over minor points these days. Um, stress is a response that the response is actually good for us in the sense that it protects us from danger. So, if we see a car veering towards us on the street, we instantaneously jump back. And that is dictated largely by our unconscious. Um, The information often doesn't have time to get all the way to our conscious and say, oh, there's a car that's veering towards me. I better jump back. So it's dictated largely by our unconscious. And we have these behaviors in our repertoire because our ancestors had to be primed to react to unfamiliar or unknown situations with the stress response. They had to perceive such things as threatening because they didn't know whether they were or not, but they only had one chance to decide whether they were or not. So it was best that they decide unfamiliar and um, tense situations were threatening so they would, could react with the fight-or-flight response. So okay. that would happen, and um, those who reacted most frequently with the stress response survived and passed on their genes, and so it became more um, evolutionary feasible to react to potential threats um, with the stress response. Now, the conscious mind is the part of the brain that we're aware about, and We focus on a few things at a time, like a goal or a task, or what you think you'll be having for dinner. It kind of fixates on what you think is of the greatest import at that point in time. And it's involved with concentration, attention, and focus. Um, The unconscious mind sees things very differently. It, It can process a comprehensive picture of everything, all the input that's coming into us at once. So let's say the conscious mind processes about 40 bits of information a second, while the unconscious mind processes 40 million bits per second. The unconscious mind is typically what's going to catch something really quickly that might be threatening to us and trigger the stress response. There are ways that you can train yourself to get your conscious mind more involved with the stress response so that you don't necessarily have to let the whole stress response um, make make itself known, so to speak. You can interrupt it with activation in your conscious by saying, oh, this really, really isn't a threat. And you do that with training, by observation and by practicing um, being aware of what's in your unconscious, and by training yourself to your brain to consciously react, you know, much more rapidly than um, it would without the training. So it can jump in and say, this really isn't life-threatening. My boss yelling at me is not a life-threatening event, so, you know, I'll just listen, and that prohibits the anxiety and the stress response from even happening. 
Okay, so um, we're going to talk about some of those uh, techniques when we get back from this break. We are going to take a quick break. Today we're speaking with Dr. Simone Ravis, who is the author of Brain Boosters, Seven Ways to Help Your Brain, Help Yourself. So stay tuned to learn more. We'll be back shortly. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. The largest syndicated alternative health talk program has come to the Voice America Network. The Dr. Bob Martin Show is the program that will answer your health questions and help you to heal your own body of many different ailments. Each week, you'll hear the answers that Dr. Bob gives to his callers that help them to be their own doctor most of the time. We'll also discuss developments on the health care front and what you need to do to keep your body in top form. The Dr. Bob Martin Show airs Wednesday mornings at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. We are bombarded with information daily about happy life strategies, beauty products, and business success ideas. Are they truly going to make a change or just take the change out of your pocket? Tune in to Shelly's Show and Tell with host Shelly Hancock. Shelly will explore and recommend proven business ideas as well as show you how to use the law of attraction to create health, happiness, and a prosperous business. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Um, today, we're talking with Dr. Simone Ravis. She's the author of the book, Brain Boosters, Seven Ways to Help Your Brain, Help Yourself. So, Dr. Ravis, before the break, we were talking about, you know, stress and the conscious and unconscious mind. And I know from my experience um, in clinic with my patients, there's a lot of people that don't actually realize how stressed they are. And they just think, oh, this is normal, the way I'm I'm feeling or what's happening and and can you just explain um how this is affecting people not even realizing what's going on absolutely people do get used to in our society they do get used to a level of chronic stress because when we experience stress unlike our ancestors we don't act out um on on the supposed threat at hand we don't kill, you know, a predator. We don't run away. And doing those things rebalanced the body. It let it achieve homeostasis or balance again. Now we don't do that. So the stress stays in our body, and it begins to build. And if another event happens, we're already stressed. It's even more likely that we'll get more stressed. And so this cycle continues until we're just in a level of chronic stress. Now, as you said, a lot of times we don't, you know, we're not even sure because we're so used to it. One point that you need to look at is that about 90% of chronic illnesses these days are said to be linked with chronic stress. So if you're not aware of it, 
you're very likely to find out by getting sick that you've been dealing with uh, the stress response in your body. And another thing is that our unconscious mind is where our beliefs, our values, motivations, attitude, and so on lie. And our unconscious actually determines 95% of our behavior and the conscious about 5%. So we're really driven by that 95%. And a really simple example that people use is, I'm sure you've driven home or to a familiar place before, and you've gotten there, and you weren't even aware of driving there. Has that ever happened to you? Yes, definitely. Yeah. And so what was, what was in charge of us getting there was the unconscious, the habits and the awareness that's in our unconscious. So um, we really need to, to try to tune in and be aware of whether we're stressed out. Um, tune in and ask ourselves if we're anxious, look at our behavior. Are we snapping at people or are we feeling very fatigued? Um, are we irritable? Things of that nature. And if so, then you want to really take a look at how you're thinking because your thinking is what affects your emotions and your behavior. And you may be having a lot of negative thoughts triggering stress, and you'll want to change those to more positive, rational thinking. So um, I guess that would be the next question. Um, I, I mean, your book lays out, of course, seven um, steps to help people to to. To work on this and and the first one is EFT can you tell us a little bit about that sure sure EFT the other name for EFT is emotional freedom techniques and it's based on the idea um, on that we have these things called meridians or channels in our body through which energy is communicated and passes and when we have physical or psychological problems, it's assumed that there's a blockage of energy in these channels. So what, what EFT does is you engage in tapping on special points around the face, the head, the chest, under the arm, and these are so-called acupressure points. We tap on these points, and they are thought to reduce and eliminate the blockage in the body so that we return to, quote-unquote, normal functioning. Now, what we've seen with, with neuroscientific discoveries is that what EFT does also is it reduces the activation of the amygdala, and as you recall, the amygdala is the center of the stress, the fight-or-flight response of anxiety and things of that nature. So if you have decided to seek EFT because you get anxious about public speaking, EFT is going to reduce the activation of your amygdala and reduce directly reduce your anxiety. And EFT is incredibly effective for a huge number of problems, um, emotional, physical, 
Um, it can also be used for performance enhancement. If you um, tap in phrases that are very positive, such as, I'm going to do a great job on this presentation, I see everybody responding to me, smiling, etc., and you're tapping on those places, you can get a really big boost and improve self-confidence and feel much better about yourself. It looks okay, kind of so, odd to use it because you're tapping on these parts of your face, but it really works very well. And it also works on physical problems, decreasing pain. There was one study that did an eight-week online course using tapping, and this is an online course for people with fibromyalgia. And the people, after eight weeks, reported a 29% improvement in depression and a 22% decrease in pain. And for fibromyalgia, that's really good. Um, well, you know, I can, I can see where that would be really effective. You know, as an acupuncturist myself, I think that the points are, are really strong. What I like about EFT is it's something that people can do at home. They don't have to go yeah. also to a session. Um, now, when you say tapping in a, a phrase, how exactly do they go about doing that? Oh, Okay. There is a setup phrase in which if it were anxiety that you wanted to target, the setup statement would be, even though I have this anxiety about public speaking, I deeply and completely love and accept myself. And what that does is it brings up the anxiety to the forefront. So you're going to um, acknowledge it and focus on it and pay attention to it. And then it's followed by a positive phrase, I deeply and completely love and accept myself. So the negative thinking is counteracted by that positive thought. Um, This is the first, as I said, that's a setup statement, and you generally repeat that three times while you're tapping on what's called the karate chop point, or if you were going to try to chop a block, you would do that, um, you know, with your um, with your hands right at, at what's called the karate chop point on the fleshy part of your hand away from your thumb. So you do that three times. You say that three times, and you're tapping on your karate chop point three times. And then you come up with these reminder phrases. And the reminder phrases are just sort of reminding you about the the negative aspect again. Simple words or phrases that you repeat as you get to each tapping point. So if it were about anxiety and you were at uh, the eyebrow tapping point, you could say this anxiety. The next tapping point is the side of the eye. You might say this anxiety about public speaking. Then under the eye... I'm feeling anxious about speaking. And you go to the tapping points saying thing, phrases like that. Okay. And then after you do a round or two, you retest yourself on what's called the subjective unit of distress scale from 0 to 10. So before you even started, you said, how anxious um, would I rate this from my feeling from 0 to 10? Say it was an 8. 
So you're really pretty anxious about public speaking. After you do a round or two of tapping, you ask yourself again, and most likely it will have gone down maybe to a six or a five or even lower. If it's um, still above a three, you want to do it again. You do some more um, tapping rounds until you get it, you know, down to a, a one or a, a two. You really want to try to get down to a zero as often as possible. Okay, so and how often do people do the tapping? Is it like once or twice a day or just as they need it? Yeah, people vary so much in how often they do it. Um, if it's something like social anxiety and that, that occurs so frequently throughout the day, they can do it at various points throughout the day when they're going to be around people. Um, if you're preparing for something like a presentation, you should do it at least twice a day and definitely before, right before the presentation. And it works so, so phenomenally well. You know, another word for EFT is try, another description is try it on anything because of the breadth of its efficacy. Okay. Um, so I know the, it's a little bit different, difficult to explain. It's a lot easier to do for people. Well, I know that if anybody's interested, there's a lot of information in your book, and the, the points are there as well. Yeah, yeah, the points, yeah. there's a diagram of the points, so they know exactly what to tap on. And once you have that down, it's really simple. Okay, so the next um, thing that, step that you have is called um, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. What is right. that? Okay, EMDR is a simpler way to say it. I'm movement <laughs> desensitization and reprocessing. And this was initially based and studied upon treating traumatic events and things like PTSD. Since that time, it has been used with depression, anxiety, chronic pain, a whole bunch of... Um, of conditions, and again, as well as performance enhancement. And how this works with, let's say, PTSD, with the trauma, is memories that are, or before I say memories, when an event happens that's very extreme and the person thinks they're in extreme danger, that they may die or be severely injured, they, the memory is not processed correctly. It stays unprocessed, and it's sort of tied and wrapped up with all of the emotions that are surrounding it and all of the sensory information that's surrounding it. So let's say um, there was an issue of a, a woman being raped, and the memory might be totally inaccessible to her. She might totally suppress the memory, but it would still be there. But it would be trapped in largely in the right side of her brain, which does not have access as much to verbal abilities, you know, to language and labeling. So she would have this unprocessed event, and it would be wrapped up with fear and anxiety and shame, all the, all the um, emotions surrounding the rape. And also it would be wrapped up with 
sensory events. So if she had heard um, somebody running after her before the event occurred, the sound of running feet would be wrapped up with the trauma. Um, if the person had spoken to her, the sound of the voice would be wrapped up. So all of that is is just um, remains unprocessed in the brain. And sometimes we know it's there because, let's say, the woman hears running feet behind her and she has this severe reaction to it because it's, it's awakening the traumatic memory within her. So what we do with EMDR, actually the, the version that I present in the book is not the typical EMDR because to do typical EMDR you have to be certified and trained by the iMovie Desensitization and Reprocessing International Association. So, so that people can do it on their own, it's a little bit different. We use tapping again, but tapping this time on alternative shoulders or thighs. And if you are going to do the eye movement, what you do is you find two things that are up on your wall, say, a clock and a lamp. And you would send your eyes back and forth rapidly without moving your head between those two points while thinking about the situation, negative thoughts you have about the situation that are really um, focused on oneself, such as, um, I'm a disappointment, it was my fault, I'm in danger, things like that. So focusing on the negative thoughts and the image, the picture, like a snapshot, and the negative emotions, and then you process it as your eyes are moving back and forth or as you're tapping your shoulders or your thighs, the memory gets processed. And what eventually happens is that it, the memory is lateralized to the left hemisphere as well where you have access to it verbally and rationally because that's the left hemisphere. And you can say things such as, um, it wasn't my fault, I did the best I could, I'm not shameful. You can label it with positive words. And um, the whole memory has been processed correctly so that you still have the memory now, but it's not emotionally traumatic or severely disturbing anymore. And it may just be a memory and have very little emotion around it. EMDR, as far as I'm concerned, when I used it as a psychologist, was by far my most powerful tool. It's incredible. So um, when you're doing that, is there some trauma as you're going through it, or is, does it start there's, to calm down as you go through? You have control over it. For example, you can go, you set a safe place beforehand, and you imagine the place where you feel safest in your life. Maybe it's on a nice, relaxing beach, or maybe it's a, your bedroom or something like that. And so you practice visualizing yourself in that while thinking of a positive word, maybe peace or serenity. And so you practice that and pull, being able to pull that up and feel peaceful or serene. So if you start to feel like a trauma is starting to arise while you're doing the eye movements or the tapping movements, you immediately take yourself to your bedroom 
or to the beach, and you can feel relaxed again. And you just focus on your breathing, and you focus on the sensations of relaxation. Secondly, what you can do while you're doing the, the um, eye movements or the tapping is you can say, I'm watching the scene through a thick plate of glass, or I'm watching the scene from a distance, watching it like a movie playing out. So when you interject those kinds of statements, it really separates you from the picture and largely prevents the reliving of the traumatic emotions because you have that distance now. And EMDR still works when you do that. Okay. Um, we're going to take a quick break. We're talking today with Dr. Simone Ravis, who is the author of Brain Boosters, Seven Ways to Help Your Brain Help Yourself. And we're going to talk more about um, some other tools that, that she has in the book. So we'll be back shortly. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Hi, I'm John Rainey, Chief Financial Officer of United Airlines, and I'm honored to be the National Chair for the 2015 March for Babies campaign for the March of Dimes. United is a proud supporter of the March of Dimes mission to improve the health of babies and fight premature birth. We're helping the March of Dimes fund breakthroughs in research and community programs that help more mothers have full-term pregnancies and healthy babies. Please join us in working together for stronger, healthier babies. Visit marchofdimes.org. Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. The show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody, and welcome back. Today, uh, we're talking with Dr. Simone Ravis. She is the author of Brain Boosters, Seven Ways to Help Your Brain Help Yourself. So, um, Dr. Ravis, can you tell us a little bit about what mindful meditation is? Sure. I'd love to. Mindfulness is a type of meditation, and meditation in general is incredibly healthy for your brain. It tends to, people who meditate over time tend to have um, thicker cerebral cortexes, which generally thin as we age. And actually the eldest amongst the meditators that they studied had the greatest difference in thickness. And they also have increased density of gray matter 
in the areas that control things like memory, compassion, and self-awareness. So they, meditators have more of that. Um, the hippocampus, which is a part like the amygdala of the brain that was in the limbic system, the hippocampus is in charge of memory and is often much more active and larger also in people who meditate. Um, and meditation is one of the things that I had mentioned can turn certain genes on and off that are involved with handling inflammation, cell death, and free radicals. Um, there's, a, there's a wide variety of types of meditation. Now, mindfulness in and of itself is a great practice to know how to do. What it is, is for, for many of us, we have a huge percentage of our thoughts that are negative and that are about ourselves. And for, for the most part, many of us are unaware that our mind is full of them. Sometimes we can detect, you know, when we're um, thinking, oh, I'm such a loser or I'm a failure. But we are bombarded for the majority of the day with negative thoughts. What mindfulness, and, and, and what people often try to do is try to ignore. They say, well, I just won't pay attention to those negative thoughts. I'll, or, you know, I'll suppress them, I'll repress them, I'll be in denial. The problem is that what you resist persists, and the negative thoughts do not go away. And they will make themselves known to you through any of a variety of mental or physical disturbances. So what mindfulness does, it's a heightened awareness of the present moment. And you pay attention to your thoughts and emotions, but from a non-judgmental and an intentional place. You don't judge or give importance to your thoughts or emotions. You just notice them and you think about them as passing occurrences. You let them go. You let them float away as you're aware of them. And what this does is really decreases the, the impact of negative thoughts on us. And it tends to also lead, since we're focusing on the present and the here and now, it tends to lead to a decrease in negative thoughts that we have, period. So um, a lot of research on mindfulness meditation actually shows that are trying to protect ourselves from our problems, to, um, to stop suffering, to relieve ourselves of problems, may actually be at the root of the problem. The fact that we, are, we focus on it and what we focus on expands, so focusing on the negative thoughts doesn't help us either. So the thing is to just be living in the present, noticing what's going on about you, and just letting the negative thoughts pass by and float away. And that's what, that's what mindfulness does. And when combined with meditation, the effects are, are all, the, all the better. Um, in meditation, there's a different brain wave. We use um, theta brain waves largely in meditation. 
and these brainwaves are associated with um, sort of integrating emotional experiences. They help us change behavior and generate creativity and inspiration. And so these are at the level of the unconscious. And um, so mindfulness meditation also allows us access to thoughts, beliefs, and wants that are in our unconscious so that we can make changes in them. Um, you, you know, everything that you've you said, especially in the beginning when people are, um, you know, they're repressing their emotions. Right. And I think sometimes people aren't aware that that's something that they're doing. You know, they're putting on a brave not, face yeah. like we're supposed to do. And, uh, you know, my grandma told me if you don't have anything positive to say, people don't want to hear it. Mm-hmm. So I think I think that's really common in our society as well as to um, to to not talk about those things. So how is does somebody become aware that that's something that they're doing? Sometimes we're not aware of that. You become aware of it, and I talk about this in positive psychology. You become aware of it through being cognitively aware, aware of your thinking. And the best way to do that is actually to look at your emotions first. Now, it's our thoughts that determine our emotions, and our thoughts determine our behavior, and our thoughts determine how we feel physically. The reason I say to look at your emotions first is that that, those are easy for us to realize, right? We're usually aware if we're feeling really scared or angry or sad. We're usually aware of that first. And so the trick is to be aware of that and then to focus and move backwards in time because you want to get to the thought, and the thought caused the emotion. So you move backwards in time, and you ask yourself, what am I thinking negatively about myself? And that's how you get access to the negative thoughts. And you can go, okay, so let's say um, I'm at work, and I make a mistake on a project that's due very soon. And I I become aware that I'm feeling very frustrated and angry at myself. And I ask myself, what am I thinking negatively about myself? And the thoughts are things like, you know, I made a mistake. I'm such an idiot. I'm a loser. I'm a failure. So you can tell that having thoughts like that is going to cause you to feel the emotions, right? Okay. So what you do is you go back to the negative thoughts and you challenge them. You look for rational evidence to support them. And you you will find that you have much more evidence supporting the fact that you're not an idiot, that you're not a failure. You look for the evidence to challenge the negative thoughts. So if I'm a failure, you ask yourself, okay, well, have I ever succeeded at anything in my life? And you'll, you will begin to think of a number of incidents in which you had succeeded. And you do this and focus on the positives so that the negatives, you realize that, that they're irrational, that they're extreme, and that they're not supported, they're not logical. And what this does in terms of neuroscience, the more you focus on the positive thoughts, 
you begin to build more positive neuronal pathways in your brain. And these positive neuronal pathways, they um, generate more positive thoughts and feelings and behavior. And the negative thoughts, which are you're not attending to as much, the negative neuronal pathways sort of fall into disuse and they become weaker and weaker. So you'll be using your positive pathways much more and your thoughts will be much more positive. And so, that's what underlies um, a lot of, of positive psychology. Um, one, one thing when you're working on the brain, and I know mm-hmm. in our society people are wanting this quick fix. You know, normally right. they would have anxiety and take medication and the anxiety would be calmer. Um, how long does it take for this neuroplasticity to change? Well, neuroplasticity, it it does take a while to to get into place, especially when you're talking about developing new neuronal pathways. But the effects of focusing on positive thoughts and really repeating them to yourself, those can be really immediate. You can, um, and, and the exercise that I have people do that focuses on, on this technique, um, people fill out a form and the last row in the form is with the positive thoughts is how they feel now um, in terms of the anxiety or fear or anger or whatever emotion it was. And their ratings go way down. And that's just, you know, that just takes about three or four minutes to do the form. So there is a rapid shift that happens. Now, I'm not going to say that the good news or the good thing to do is to do this as often as possible, to do this exercise, to challenge the negative stinking thinking as often as possible because that speeds up the neuroplasticity and it also makes you feel better more of the time. But there have been some studies in which turning on the positive switch causes some brain changes very quickly. Okay, so is it, um, would it manifest maybe over time, you know, they're changing that, that way of thinking and then say in a month the same thing happens you have an over something you make a mistake on at work right and then um you'd either not get mad or right. you would just not be as frustrated yeah after a month if you're if you're practicing this practicing this daily as as is the idea um you would a couple of things you would not, you would probably not feel as angry and you, you probably would not feel anger, period. Because what happens as you learn how to use this technique is first you work on the negative emotions after the fact and you, you switch them to more positive emotions. With practice, what happens is you become aware of the negative thought as it's occurring so you start to make switches right then and there. You say, oh, I'm not going to think that. So there's, there's much less in the sense of negative emotions because you're catching it. Eventually what happens is you don't even have the negative thoughts as often as possible um, to a large extent 
because you are in situations and you're able to say at, at some area of your consciousness, you're able to say, this is a red flag zone. This is what would probably have triggered me before. And I'm not going to, um, it's not going to end in anger because you're able to identify the situation beforehand so you don't get to the emotion. Okay. Um, so we're, um, is there, obviously there's way more in your book. We only talked about three of the, the seven um, tools that you have. So is there any way if somebody wants to get more information that you can get a hold of you or your book? Sure. Um, I'll, I'll give you my website. There's a way of getting a hold of me on my website. And the website is www, and then one word, dot successbraincoach, that's one word, successbraincoach.com. And the book is also available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble's Brain Boosters, Seven Ways to Help Your Brain, Help Your Life, or Help Yourself. And um, also on my website, if people want to find out how focus, how much focus they have, there's a free assessment that they can take, and it gives them a great amount of information in terms of how focused they are on business and personal success. Okay. Um, well, that sounds like a good place to start. Um, yeah. Uh, so that, good that's to good to know. There's articles on there, too. Yeah. I want to thank you so much for joining me today. This was a great show. Well, thank you so much, Rebecca. Um, and uh, for anybody and that, that's listening, um, be sure to audience. pick up this book. It's got some great tips in it. Um, so that was Brain Boosters, Seven Ways to Help Yourself, Help Your Brain, Help Yourself. Next week, we're going to be talking with Mark Estrin about statin drugs and how they can affect you. Um, those are drugs used to, uh, for cholesterol. So uh, stay tuned. Um, tune in next week and uh, make today a great day. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Please join Dr. Rebecca Risk again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk more next week.